I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. What a week we have to look back on. We've got Ulster's big European win over Racing 92, as well as a couple of winners at the Belfast Telegraph Sports Awards. We will, of course, be preview this weekend's tie in Leicester and how Ulster can get over the line into the knockout stages. And then we'll take a look at the schools and the clubs. I say we, with me this week, are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how are we? And Adam McKendrick. How's the form, lads? We'll begin, as always, with a look back at last weekend's fixture, and this time, of course, it was Ulster 26, Racing 92-22. Where else to begin but with a certain Jacob Stockdale? Jonathan, we've been discussing Jacob Stockdale for as long as the podcast has been going on at the start. We joked that it was the the Jacob Stockdale rugby roundup every week. Just how has he progressed in that time? He's still really good. Um, <laughs> that, that helps. That's, uh... That's the main update. <laughs> he hasn't improved, he's just plateaued at exceptional. That's <laughs> <laughs> like world class. Um, I think he I is. I like that's my plateau in my journalism as well. Like I think I've just plateaued at that world level. I don't um, know, like, oh. I still think you're getting better. Ah, it's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, you just wanted somebody to say that, otherwise the podcast would have taken a real turn. <laughs> I think you have to sort of view him now in those terms. I mean, Dan McFarlane was asked afterwards if he would swap him for any winger in the world. And tongue-in-cheek said that he wouldn't swap any of his players for anyone in the world after <laughs> uh, after a win like that. But I, I saw an article during the week that, um, you know, if there was a Lions tour this year, even though there isn't we're still you know we haven't even had the world cup yet but we're talking about the lions so it's um just shows how much people love speculative squads i think but um if there was a lions there he'd obviously i think be um far and away the first name in uh down for the wing slots um probably like you could argue you would have keith earls possibly opposite him johnny may maybe no, we're not getting into this. We're not, we're not <laughs> yeah, having an alliance discussion yeah. before World Cup. It's not happening. If you do want a speculative squad, though, like I'll carry that online. <laughs> I can see those kits already. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many Ulstermen would make mystery coach X's line <laughs> squad for South Africa? That would be a good discussion topic. It's funny, though, after the game, I, I was watching a replay of Stockdale's chip and chase try on Twitter, and... I don't know why, but I just started scrolling down through the comments, and it was all these people, not Ulster fans, who were commenting, you know, world-class, best winger in Europe, stuff like that. And I think we do forget that as Ulster fans. You're watching one of the best wingers in the yeah. world, playing his trade for Ulster week in, week out, uh, scoring great tries like that, you know, where the bounce just seems to go his way. But I would argue I that it's Ulster people, not Ulster rugby fans. Like, I think Ulster people in general, like get so get used to things so quickly mm. like for years and years and years like you didn't have golfers winning majors you would get like you know Darren Clark and a Ryder Cup team and then golfers start winning majors and then when they aren't winning majors it's like what's going on with these boys like where's their heads at or <laughs> yeah. like Frampton um you know Frampton doesn't beat Santa Cruz at a time in Brooklyn and all of a sudden it's like People are overlooking the fact that from such a small place you had a two-weight world champion. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%. I think when you see Stockdale every week 
and maybe we're guilty of it as well. I think you do, because we even had a conversation recently about you know the team of the year uh, or the world team of the year that was up online, and it was like uh, talking about the cases for you know Ione or uh, Deante and things like that. But Stockdale's had better years than all of them, and you, mm, yeah. you just you can forget it. I mean, re- record try scorer in one Six Nations Grand Slam winner. Game winner against the All Blacks, like it's it's just been a phenomenal year mm. for him. And as I said, I think we just take for granted just how good he is and just his ability. In fact, I thought the handoff on Olivier Clemensac for his try was better than the chip and chase because he has no mm. right to hand off Clemensac. Clemensac's a good defender, but he just brushes by him as if he wasn't even there and then chips over the top and scores I, I just think he is one of the world's premier wingers and we've just got to enjoy what he brings to the team every week because Klassens as well she'd have barreled him in the touch for the uh, for his first try that's true yeah and then it's one of those things where a rugby ball bounces in such a strange fashion <laughs> but apart from that one where he didn't score the try on Saturday he always gets the bounce, and it can't be um, because he said he, he addressed this last night at the the sports awards, yeah. and then when he was on stage, and he says, "I've just had a few lucky bounces." But yeah, you're, it's like you're right. Like when it happens, like ninety percent of yeah. the time, and like, especially mm. when you watch the All Blacks try, um, you can see the adjustment that he makes to the ball. I don't know why I went Sean Connor and said adjustment there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, I'm gonna go watch a bit of tennis now. Yeah, the the way that he adjusts to that ball to um to claim it for his all blacks try, you can see the skill set that he has there and he's obviously got great football footballing skills um as well to be able Should to measure those. Well, you know. Left foot. <laughs> him and Gary uh, Hamilton would have been uh, the dream team. The fu- the funny thing is, I, I think you you saw a good sort of contrast between Ulster's wingers at the weekend. You had Stockdale, who has a bit of pace, but his main strength is his power and his physicality, where he can do those handoffs and then he can chip over the top and sort of muscle guys out of the way and get to it first. And then the other wing, you have Robert Balakoon, who's so solid defensively and has pace to burn. You saw for his try, he, he gassed him off down the wing. You know, him off was quite narrow, so he was in a bad position, but he wasn't getting anywhere close to Balakoon. And I think there's a really good contrast on the wings there, where if you go one way, you've got the power of Stockdale, and if you've got the pace on the other side of Balkan, you can switch those two around and mix things up. I think it was a very good combo that they have there. Mm. I've been very impressed with Balakun recently as well. Do you well. see, before we talk more about Balakun, but we will, because um, I'm just really interested about this Stockdale always getting this bounce. Like, do we have any idea how, how he does it? Because even you mentioned about him adjusting his body position. One of the tries for Ulster, can't remember which one it was now, but you could see like there were two of the... Uh, defending players coming in and it looked like they were going to get to it first but he just sort of waits watches and then gets to it first so he's obviously doing something that not every player does to anticipate the bounce of the ball I mean his very first try that he scored for Ulster um, was a very similar sort of try there was more um, I suppose he gave himself more room to run into so it wasn't quite as the margins weren't quite as fine for that one but the try that he scored against Dragons at the the first game of what would have been his second season was a similar a similar type of score, and we've seen it against England, we've seen it against New Zealand, we've seen it against Racing, we've seen it 
um, numerous other times among his Ulster scores. Um, and it's a funny one because I think people always, certainly in the last year, focus a lot on the intercepts. And yeah. But it's almost a similar sort of thing. It's an, mm. an innate ability mm-hmm. to judge where the ball is going to go or where the ball is going to be and mm. reading that he must just have an unbelievable an unbelievable ability to scan a rugby field mm. yeah was you said was it you said something about it being a sixth sense yeah in, yeah. in your piece I think when, back to me now. I think whenever you, you all my stuff this week I've been rubbish <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think whenever you, mean, you was it just joking <laughs> whenever, whenever you kick the ball I think you can also sort of get an idea of where it's going to yeah. bounce as well I mean it's, it's you can't get a, a complete sense, but you can sort of gather that the ball's going to come down in such a way that it'll bounce. You're always at an advantage when you're the one who's kicked it because you just, you know how mm-hmm. you've kicked it and how it's going to come down. But yes, it's just that rugby IQ to to know how the ball's going to bounce or to have it, have that ability to be aware that, okay, the ball's maybe going to go this way, so I'm going to hang back and I'm going to wait for it to bounce and hope that the defenders don't read it as well as I do. So yeah, the... There is a degree of luck about it, you know. So we're not saying that he's, you know, got this extra vision or something that nobody else has. I think like, that we are. <laughs> he goes <laughs> into like matrix yeah. mode where he's yeah. seeing numbers floating he, around he, the pitch as well. He definitely does. But um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, he, he reads the place so well. I think he's but, just he's just magic. He said at the sports awards last night he's building Hogwarts and Lego at the moment. <laughs> I think it's just sort of rubbing off on him. He's just yeah. becoming magic now. Um, speaking of and magic winners, CEO ball. Huh? You don't want to repeat it. Are you not confident in your joke to say it twice? I'm not because I'm not 100% sure I got the word right. Yeah. My wife is a huge Harry Potter fan and has watched four of the films. Oh, is it a Harry Potter week. joke? Go on, say it. I think it's a GCO. Oh, Accio. Accio. Ah. Yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about. Sorry, it's a Harry Potter joke. Well, we had Game of Thrones last week, so. Uh, fair enough. Anyway, I think. Moving across the fantasy world. Hope you enjoyed yeah, that, folks. I think, I think we, we, we should absolutely keep this movie. Let's just go back to my better uh, segue speaking of magic wingers we have Robert Balakoon on the other side uh, you'd mentioned earlier about how Ulster people sort of get used to having good things we're becoming used to having good wingers now Robert Balakoon or the story that we had done online before he made his debut being like who is Robert Balakoon it's crazy like I was just a few months ago mm-hmm. it's crazy how far he's come in that time he started his first European match scored a try after seven minutes um, how good was his performance and sort of how, how good he anticipate in this guy to be? I think if you discount, discount the try, um, well, not discount the try, we'll, we'll get to the try. We'll, we'll get to <laughs> the try later. Yeah, the, well, they would have lost if we got the try. Um, <laughs> but what impressed me an awful lot about his performance was defensively, um, because that's the, that's a real test for a young winger, especially you know if your game is built on pace, pace frightens the opposition at any level. Um so with ball in hand, you're not going to have too many concerns about him. Obviously, there's still a rawness there. We shouldn't forget that the last time we saw him, he was almost getting... Well, scoring a try, but almost getting a red card <laughs> as well. Like, But I think it says an awful lot about his temperament and an awful lot... I can't remember whether we talked about this last week or whether we wrote about this last week, but I think it says an awful lot about Don McFarlane's selection policy that he resisted any temptation to move... Will Addison to fullback, Ludic onto the wing, and bring in Darren Cave outside Stuart McCluskey, mm. which would have been a far more experienced backline than throwing um, throwing Robert Balakun in for his first European start. But like chatting to Willie Anderson last night, 
about his performance and just how impressed I'd been with him and Willie Anderson just sort of laughed and was like you know he's so laid back that it wouldn't have phased him that it was a European game like it's funny I had exactly the same conversation yeah, with him yeah it's like uh, Willie Anderson's always good for these sort of um, insights into the younger players because mm-hmm. he spent so much time with them he's got like a real sort of good grasp of their character and he was one of the mm-hmm. first people to sort of say about this group coming through the academy that he really thought they all had the temperament and the spirit to make the impact that you've seen a lot of them make this year and I think that sort of sp- that, that speaks volumes about what Robert Balakin has been able to do in a short space of time from playing junior rugby um, two, two seasons ago for Enniskill and they're playing um, basically being invited to a training session by Kieran Campbell while he was off on holiday having dual registration then for Menaskillen playing a few times uh, in the All-Iron League to go into where he is now starting against a team that Rory Best said was one of the best club sides that he's ever played and that's somebody that's yeah. played Saracens played Toulon played the Leinster of both vintages of classic Leinster teams the present and the one um, that culminated in 2012 so that's the level of opposition that you're talking about and he came in and looked straight away like he belonged um, in what was a really tough defensive assignment Yeah, we, we talk about Eric O'Sullivan's rise Robert Balakins has been just as impressive mm-hmm. and Johnny's gone through it there so <laughs> I'll not go through it again yeah, so I spoke for ages eh? yeah but it's good because tired myself out but you're right I about it was good. I tuned out. No idea what <laughs> I I wasn't wholly convinced by Balakun at the start. I thought he was just kind of getting by and he wasn't really making a big impact on the games. But he's slowly grown into it, and mm. that's exactly what you want to see from these guys. You want to see them coming in. They don't need to make an impact early, but they need to start to do that. And he's really done that in the past few weeks. As Johnny said, he's been so solid defensively. I don't I don't think he's missed a tackle yet. And against some of the teams that he's been playing against, that's Extremely impressive. Um, Zero missed tackles, one ill-advised tackle. One ill-advised tackle, sorry. Um, But in terms of the fact that he hasn't quite got or hit his straps offensively, he did score the try, but he hasn't sort of been making the big breaks that you'd like to hope he's been making. But that just takes one spark. It just takes him to make one spark and uh, make that good break, and then maybe all of a sudden he will become, you know... uh, that guy that Ulster can rely on down the way. Look, as Johnny said, he's got pace to burn and that scares teams to the core. You know, the they don't like facing a guy who one quick step and he's away around the side. Uh, so he has got a very bright future. He mm-hmm. and uh, as he said, you know, the temperament's there. Um Willie was saying to me last night that uh, if Robert was any more relaxed he'd be horizontal. So mm-hmm. uh I, I think that's one of the key mm-hmm. things about him. He he doesn't let a lot of things face him and uh, you know, Dan McFarland's brought him in for a reason, and I think we're seeing why. I think like um, we obviously haven't seen too much of him with ball in hand. Um, mm. It was a good finish, like a real sort of wingers finish on yeah. Saturday, and he picked a really nice line for um, his try against Munster mm-hmm. as well. But you know, we, we talk about Jacob Stockdale. I don't think Jacob Stockdale scored for what his first six Ulster games, his first eight Ulster games. Aye. Aye, so, so it was something like that. Yeah, so Balakun's already ahead of that pace. He just needs another like twenty four in his next forty two games. <laughs> <laughs> but but on course he is he is better than Jacob Stockdale. That's, that's, we can say. that's what your online headline will be. <laughs> Absolutely. It's gonna be two minutes here to rattle that up. After <laughs> after Jacob wins player of the year for the second uh, second season in six. Balakun will win it three times in a row, <laughs> you would assume. Um 
Dylan Carlton then in our first listener question asks uh, well he tells us that he was listening to the match on a station from the south doesn't name the station their immediate reaction after the match was that Ulster were very lucky and showed little or no control uh, although they did compliment Ulster's effort and character so he asks was the performance good or were Ulster just lucky I think um we both sort of looked at each other there and wondered which one of us was going to take this. Um, sorry. I, 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 th- I wanted to take it, but I'm oh, right, sorry. I should address sorry, it. Sorry, no, well, li- Bad hosting. Bad hosting. I don't agree with that little or no control part. That's that's quite damning. I, I think I, I do think they were lucky because there were so many things in that game. If that had gone against them, they lose. You know, if... Uh, Stockdale's try gets called back for a forward pass, which I think they got quite lucky that the replay didn't end up being. Um, I think it was Finn Russell ended up blocking the shot of the pass. Um, Finn Russell's contribution to that game was uh, interesting. Even well, even including when I think when something like that happens, when you block the view of the TMO to a possible <laughs> forward pass yeah. on top of everything else, well, you yeah. just have to accept that. Uh, as good a player as you are, it is not your day. <laughs> well, I was going to say the next, Finn Russell was the next one. You know, Finn Russell shows up with his kicking boots on. It's a completely different game. If Vakatawa times that pass, was it Vakatawa or Nakarawa? Sorry, the late one. I think it was Vakatawa. Go, go for a combo with the two. Like, Vakarawa. If he times that offload better right at the end, um, then they score that try late on and they win the game. If uh, Rassing reclaim that restart at the end uh, whenever Addison missed time the kick uh, they might have gone on and scored and won that game yeah I, I do think there are parts where Ulster got lucky but at the same time you've got to say that Ulster they got off to a great start they took advantage of the fact that Racing seemingly didn't realise how tough the game was going to be and they raced out into the good start that they needed which is something that they've been talking about for a few weeks they just haven't started well and they really burst out of the block strongly even right from the very start Racing tried to play out of their own 22 and Ulster just kept them pinned back on the 22 and got the penalty that put them in the lead you know that that was exactly the start they needed and then from there Sure, Racing had their purple patches, you know, towards the end of the first half where Vakatawa and Zebo went over for their tries. Um, and then especially sort of that 50-minute to 70-minute period where they just completely dominated. And whenever it hit 70 minutes and they'd, they got that fourth try, uh, you just thought to yourself that they're going to keep pushing on. They're going to get that. Uh, they're going to get another try and they're going to pull away and they're going to win this. But credit to Ulster, that defensive performance was brilliant. Jordy Murphy, who has been exceptional in the past, in the big games especially, comes up with a huge turnover in the 75th minute uh, to keep them out whenever a drop goal would have done it for them. Because I think at that point they were lining up for a drop goal that would have put them ahead. So it's just stuff like that. Managing those last few minutes where they get out of their own 22, they just slowly build up the pitch, they get another penalty into the corner, win the line out, win the penalty from them all, Addison kicks it over, should have waited about six more seconds, but you know we can look back on that now and say it didn't cost them. But all in all, I think Ulster managed the game quite well because especially whenever Racing got that fourth try, it would have been so easy just to say, we're tired, you know, that that's it. You know, Racing are going to come back. They put in a huge performance for those last 15 minutes or so mm-hmm. to get the win. And I think that that's credit to this team 
because they've been talking for so long about how they finish strongly. I think they showed that again. That's becoming a real hallmark of this team, that they finish strongly. And if they can add a good start to that as well, then teams really won't want to play them. I think it's important, because I understand that very much the tone of the question and the curiosity coming from the question. I don't think there was an awful lot of um, acknowledgement that, like, Ulster weren't playing Dragons at home here. Like, they were playing a team that's got to the final of this competition twice in the last three years. A team that's budget is about two and a half times, I think. I was going to say, don't quote me on that, but I've kind of put it out there now. So, um, I think about, quote away. Yeah, I think about two and a half times what Ulster's is. And yes, there were some untidy parts of the game, but they still won the game. Yes, they could have lost, but things could have went their way as well. Like Simon Zebo nearly um, looked like he was in the process of almost knocking the ball on. Um, Stockdale, the, the Stockdale one the over um, Addison mm-hmm. from, the, from the Addison kick was almost another try. Um, Ulster were playing, by and large, without a goal kicker for virtually the entire game having lost John Cooney um, on the morning of a game with a, what was described to me anyway as a 50-50 fitness test um, that only happened the morning of the game now they they knew he was a doubt but they were still hopeful that he was going to play right up until Saturday morning um, and they overcame all that in a game that they had to win against a great side now, we'd said last week that we wouldn't be surprised if this happened, but yeah. the fact that it did, I still think maybe... Um, I thought it was a bit... I thought some of the reaction elsewhere was a bit strange. Mm. As, as, someone, as, someone, as someone who plays a lot of golf, I always like to say, if ifs and buts were drives and putts, then I'd be a professional golfer. You know, if those things happened, Ulster lose the game. But but they didn't, you know. Ulster, yeah. we are sitting here. Ulster won the game, and that that's what's happened. I, I was listening to another podcast yesterday where they said that Ulster beat a Racing side who didn't care. I think that's an insult to Ulster. I think that I think that's more of an insult to Racing, to be honest. Because see, once Stockdale scored that try in this, like I was talking to somebody at halftime, and I was like, whoever scores the next try is winning this game. And once Ulster scored. That what was it for? Was it fifty minutes? Forty F- fifty-one minutes. Yeah, I think f- it was 50, fifty-one minutes. And that made it for Ulster 10. to go thirteen points ahead for a second time. I was like, that right? That's that's the game. They've won this game, and I think against not to be stereotypical, but I think against an awful lot of top fourteen teams, that would have been the game. Mm. But mm. Racing fought back, and it, like it wasn't that Racing didn't care. Like they might have effort that Ulster had to put into winning that game. You think about. Well, the fact that Ulster had to win the game with four times in the last five minutes, <laughs> I might have effort yeah. to put into that. But you think about the performance from Katsia, the performance from Jordy Murphy, the performance from Rory Best, the performance from Eric O'Sullivan, um, and really all of that pack. Yeah. Um, Especially missing Henderson, who was so yeah. big in the Scarlet's doubleheader. Yeah. You know, we were thinking, like, yeah. we're... You weren't you weren't sort of questioning Ulster's pack because you know that pack is good with the names that they have in it. But you were sort of questioning, you know, how how do you mm. cope without Henderson, who was so good in those Scarlet's double headers? 
I thought they were brilliant, especially yeah. against a pack as big as Racing's, you know, who who just love to steamroll over the top of other teams. I, I thought Ulster's pack, man-to-man, stood up manfully. Eric O'Sullivan, again, what a game. But that scrum, in fact, the scrum was pulverised in uh, in, uh, in France. And sure, Racing were missing their whole front row, but at, at the same time, you look at those names. Gogachashvili played in Paris and was excellent. Sarzewski has been there, done it, and got the T-shirt. And Ben Tamiafuna is a former All Black. You know these guys aren't uh, like they aren't reserve guys. They're just guys who don't play as much for Racing as mm. they could for other teams. So the pack, the the improvements that they've made since that game uh, in Paris back in October, it's night and day. They're a completely different team now, and it's amazing to see. Yeah, I think Martin, like I think Marty Moore, well, Aaron Dundon as well, obviously, but and the work that Dan did in that sort of break. But I think Marty Moore has taken off a lot of credit for the way he's playing. And to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me to see him named in that Ireland squad mm. um, tomorrow because I think he's been. Um, I think he's been. He. I think honestly, I think he's been that good, and I think. Um, there were concerns from people who had seen him probably play for Wasps more um, than we had about what his um, ability ability to play the fast-paced game that Dan McFarland wants him wants Ulster to play, and you know he was tasked with that. I think it's one um, again. I keep throwing out numbers that I haven't written down in front of me because I haven't got my notebook here. Um, I think it's one, one involvement per minute, whether that be a tackle or hitting a rock or carry or whatever but that's the target that he's been set and he's really um he's really committed to that idea and having the engine on him that mm. he needs for that and it was against racing away that i think we really saw that because i mean we were sad of that game and we were like um obviously he just came back in against leicester but we sat of that game and like marty murray just said to each other like marty murray is really putting himself about mm. in this game making an awful lot of tackles and that was before not before the emergence of Eric O'Sullivan, but before Eric O'Sullivan really nailed down the um, really nailed down the Lusich shirt, and he's got that same sort of application that you're saying. Um, I think it was Banbridge um, tweeted over the weekend that he must be the hardest working player in Europe, yeah. and you can see that from Eric O'Sullivan when you get when you're getting that amount of work work rate from your front row because you know what you're going to get from Rory Best allied to the fact that you've really got a back row now with the addition I'm going to say the addition of Katsia, um even though he's been there but and the addition of Jordy Murphy um, you've really got a pack that I think at the minute especially when you consider Henderson going back in it that can compete at this level mm-hmm. you still need more depth to it obviously and you see, you'll see see that throughout the Pro 14 yeah. but there's the makings of a Champions Cup quality pack there certainly Yeah, and then they were able to set up what was for me, if you look at the tries, like they were fantastic tries to watch. Mm. Like that's the type of rugby you want to see your your team playing. They were just you could have watched them back again and just been like that was class. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you talk about the Stockdale try and it's getting all the credit and rightfully so because it's a great bit of individual skill. But I thought that first try was brilliant. I thought just yeah, the, it was my favorite. The, the first stop hit. Um, I think it's Kutsia could see it carries in and that just completely fractures the Racing defence they're scrambling they have no idea where they're going quick ball from Shanahan who fair play for a guy who stepped in at uh, at the mm. last minute to start against Racing 
Um, his boxing was a bit shaky, but I, I thought he was great apart from that. But he gets the quick ball away. Billy Burns throws a brilliant flat pass across to Ludic. Imhoff just steps in a little bit too narrow. One pass, Balakun's down the outside. Brilliant try. Brilliant two-phase try off the top of a line-out. Well, so I think that's the key thing as well, that it came off the line-out. And mm. um, fair enough, their, like, their line-out success was 67%, which isn't good. But that try came off the line-out. We've spoken at length about Rassing's ability to disrupt your line-out. So to be able to score a try off your line-out, to be able to score a try off a strike move from a scrum for Stockdale's second try, the set-piece was mangled in Paris, and yet you scored two tries off it here. Yeah. We'll throw in a little bit of audio here. It was um, the double uh, try hero, Jacob Stockdale, who spoke to the media. But I'm not going to do the plug because Jonathan just rehearsed it perfectly. So just you go for it again. Just say what you said. It was beautiful. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> And afterwards, Jacob Stockdale spoke about how much he um, wanted to play knockout rugby with Ulster, and obviously this win has set them up uh, in a good position to do that going into this weekend's game against Leicester. Nailed it. Didn't do it as well, that time. It was good. <laughs> Here's Jacob. I, I haven't played knockout rugby with, with Ulster yet, um, and that's that's obviously something that, that I want, want to kind of take off, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a massive aspiration for me. Um, there's not many guys in the squad right now that, that, that have had that opportunity and um, yeah, I suppose just for us it's it's <clears throat> doing what we've been doing all season and, and playing well as we as we can uh, going into that. Obviously, we'll, you know, uh, there'll be guys in the squad that, that'll take take bits away from, from guys, you know, like Bestie that, that have played uh, in, in those matches and yeah, like it's it's about um, just about doing, doing the things right. Um, right now, it's... Uh, you know we can't look past Leicester. Um, we have to beat Leicester uh, first of all to make sure that we definitely get the opportunity to play that knockout rugby. So uh, yeah, the sights are firmly fixed on them. So last week, obviously, we were we were uh, we had all the permutations, which have now I assume got a little bit simpler after the weekend's results. Where exactly are Ulster in terms of what they need to progress? John, you detailed this in in the paper. I noticed. Yeah, so the games to watch, we sort of said, funny enough, in December that what you would wanted to do would be support Edinburgh and Munster, and that's essentially where you are this weekend, really. Um, Montpellier, um, sorry, Ruin Pinar's Montpellier, to give them their, their, <laughs> their full, their full title, um, will be playing in Edinburgh on Friday night. So if Montpellier get less than two points from that game, then they will be on less than 18. Mm-hmm. Um, so they won't be able to surpass Ulster as the best runner-up. Um, and then, basically, from Ulster's game, a losing bonus point would take them through. Or any result in Thoman Park the next day, bar a 5-1 to one match point split for Exeter over Monster. So the, fr- the Friday one's the key one for me. Yeah, because I really I can't see Exeter getting a bonus point win in Thoman Park, and if they were to, then I couldn't see Munster um, getting a bonus point from it. Like it's it would have to be a very strange game <laughs> for Pool Two to produce one of the best runners up, basically. So the Montpellier win, and Stuart McCluskey sort of said yesterday, you know, he'd be watching the game with his Edinburgh shirt on, and that's the key. Like you need. Mm. You really need Edinburgh to do the business. But then I was talking about this sort of on Twitter over the weekend and then a few people did say, 
you know, Ulster can win the game on Saturday, which is <laughs> obviously, yes, true. If they win the game, then that takes everything out of it. But me and Adam were talking about this yesterday as well. Like, It's a unique situation in a way, I think, because of the seeding and coming in as the best runners-up, who you're likely to play, because you're likely to play Saracens, Rousing, or Leinster. You know, so it doesn't really... I don't think it really matters whether you finish seed, seed number six, seven, or eight, because it's a pick your poison type of situation. You know, yeah. this year I think Ulster would just be delighted to get into the knockout stages. Yeah, I mean, then, I, I think they know that they're not going to be competing right up to the bitter end. You know, I think whoever they face in the quarterfinals is uh, is probably going to be too too strong for them. But you know, to get into the quarterfinals and have a quarterfinal would be a massive achievement for this club and it would be hugely uh, beneficial for some of those young guys to mm-hmm. play in. Well, we sat here in July and said that they didn't have a mission again out of this pool. Yeah. Um, you did? You you did? I, I, just, I said, I I said, I said we that. there because I was taking like no. a level of collective responsibility no. for the podcast, but no. fine. Yeah. <laughs> I said they wouldn't get out of this pool. <laughs> to be fair, I, I didn't. Or I said they wouldn't get out of the pool. <laughs> I said they wouldn't get out of the pool to the point where I had planned a holiday for the weekend of the quarterfinals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How'd but, that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's all right. Um, it's fine. Um, yeah. So, is the most likely outcome here, can I get my head around it all, without having a down paper in front of me, that Ulster need a point? I, I don't think I, they do. I, I don't, don't think, think they, they do. do. And like, think about it. I sort of put this to Dan McFarland on um, Saturday, and he interrupted me. I was like, don't say that before, <laughs> before I got the question out. Um, <laughs> their their attitude is that they're going to try and win the game. Obviously, as it should be. I think I don't think it'll matter personally because I per- personally I think Edinburgh will beat Montpellier and at home like Edinburgh are which is bad news for mm. Ulster's Pro Fourteen chances. But Edinburgh, mm. especially in Europe this season, are playing some very good rugby. They're really growing and. Bill Mata is offload. Bill Mata is... High incredible. We've spoken, spoken about him a lot because he's been so good against Ulster for a number of years mm. and now he's doing it against everybody. Um, but the rugby that they've played in the Champions Cup this season in a really difficult pool mm-hmm. um, when, much like Ulster, when the draw was made, you looked at it and you thought, too long, Montpellier. Um, you, so, you feared for Edinburgh's, Edinburgh's chances there. But... Um, I mean, I, th- I think they're probably a year ahead of where um, Ulster are, maybe even two years ahead of where Ulster are in the in the rebuild, given the different age profiles of the squad. Um, Edinburgh obviously tilting a wee bit older, um, although have some great young players coming through. But I think the, the only thing they could do, Edinburgh, and I think is the amount of hype that we've seen already, because there's an awful lot of, isn't this great for Scottish rugby? Mm. And an awful lot of pieces about the renaissance of Scottish rugby. Um, obviously looking like they're going to have two quarter-finalists. I think, yeah, for the first time, I think they've got three three quarter-final spots combined. Obviously, um, one of them in 2012 when Edinburgh played Ulster um, in the semis. But unle- unless something like that and the occasion becomes too big for them, and you wouldn't expect a Richard Cockrell team to be allowed to let the occasion become too big for them, I think Edinburgh will win. And as I say, I can't see I can't see Monster surrendering a five pointer at home. I think you'd be. Mm. I don't want to say it in case it's a really obvious one that I'm forgetting, but I think you'd be going quite a ways back for uh, for that to happen. 
Uh, in terms of Ulster's game then, what about team? Uh, if John Cooney was 50-50 to make the game last Saturday, surely, I know Ulster's then he's a doubt, surely he'd make it for, for this Saturday? Uh, so certainly the indications are that he's, mm. he's going to be alright. Um, I've got no... Um, Nobody really seems to have a feel for whether Billy Burns is going to be alright, but I'd, I'd be surprised if Cooney didn't play. Yeah. Okay. So let's just wait and see on on Burns then, and take it from there. Look, I, I don't think I don't think Ulster will make too many changes for this week. If they do yeah. make any changes, it'll probably be injury enforced because those guys played so well last week. You tell them right, go out and do it again because they're probably riding the crest of a wave at the moment after that win and. I don't see why you'd change that. Well, I think it's very similar to the Scarlet's games in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. I think it's become pretty apparent what Ulster's first choice 15 and first choice 23 is, really. Mm. And I can't see them deviating too much from that, unless, as Adam says, they have to. If we talk about going to, to Leicester, then, is it right? I mean, I was looking at this up earlier, and I meant to double-check it, but then I didn't. Have Leicester been beat five times at home this season? Saracens, yep. Racing, Sale, and twice by, by Worcester? Well, I think it's important. Five impor- times, yeah, that's, like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to remember that this, at one stage, was looking like Leicester's worst season in 40 years. Like They've had a, um, an upturn in fortunes since. But for like funny, we mentioned Richard Cockrell. And like, um, Leicester have certainly been on a, a downward trajectory since um, getting rid of Cockrell um, and obviously Cockrell's transformed Edinburgh but um, <laughs> it's not the Leicester Tigers of old and personally I think we'll see a much stronger like it was bad news I think for Ulster when they saw the team sheet that Leicester were sending to Scarlets because it confirmed suspicions probably that they were going to go pretty strong at home as you would expect yeah. um, this weekend having sent what was Effectively, a shadow team with a few first teamers thrown in against Scarlets. Yeah, but uh, like given their form, you still like you guys seem to nearly be writing them off. I'm not saying you are, but just in terms of talking about Ulster, maybe you don't even need to win. But yeah. if Ulster did need to win, I'd be going into thinking that's not a bother. What an Ulster team with their internationals? Well, I don't well, think Leicester are as good as. I don't think Leicester are as good a team as Wasps were last year. And you, you're comparing the two, um, a lot, an awful lot of times the two situations have been compared. Yeah. But I don't think Leicester are as good as Wasps were last year. Leicester have less motivation. But it, we see these games quite a lot. Um, obviously, the most recent one is, that springs to mind is when Ulster and Leicester last played each other before this season, where. Ulster put Leicester out when they had nothing to play for um, at home with uh, Darren Cave's hat-trick. Mm. But it's it's not that... I think if you're sensing a certain relaxed attitude, maybe from me and Adam, maybe in a wider sense, surrounding Ulster, I, I don't think it's because you're writing off Leicester so much as you don't think that they really will need to beat them, mm. possibly. Certainly. I'm in. I'm in full Jared Payne hands behind the back <laughs> of the head, legs up on the desk at the moment. No, I think Johnny's right. I think there's a, a more laissez-faire attitude this week because we are in the mindset that Ulster aren't going to need the win. Um, yeah. But at the same time, always beware a side that have so facto nothing to play for mm-hmm. because uh, I d- I don't think 
that ever plays into the mindset. I think sometimes whenever you pick your team, it comes into the mindset, but whenever the guys take to the pitch, nobody's going out there to go, oh, let's have a bit of a jolly and have a good have a good time out there. Guys are playing for pride. Guys are playing for places, especially in Leicester, where there is such an overhaul happening at the moment where guys aren't guaranteed of their spots. There's nobody in that squad at the moment who's really guaranteed to be starting on that team. That Everyone is sort of competing. Plus, they don't want to play on uh, the way they have been. They want to sort of turn Welford Road back around. They want to make it a fortress again. They don't want they don't want Ulster to come in and walk over the top of them and start celebrating their qualification for the quarterfinals in their own home ground. The same way Ulster back in, what was that, 2015, um, didn't want Leicester to come in and start celebrating qualifying for the quarterfinals. They wanted to make a statement in front of their home crowd and Leicester are going to want to do the same this week. Um, they still have quality. Like, do, don't don't start thinking that this Leicester side is complete shadow of former sides. You've still got the Youngs brothers, you've got Matt Tamua, Manu Tuolangi, Ellis Genge and Dan Cole. Their scrum is still one of the best in the Premiership, if not one of the best. You know that Ulster's front row are going to go in for another huge test this weekend, straight after coming off the back of going toe-to-toe with Rassing. So yeah. don't think that Ulster are guaranteed to win this. I, I do think we're taking a very relaxed attitude to it because, uh, yeah, I, I still think Ulster's result this week won't make a difference. I think they're going to qualify anyway. But you want to you win this game. You want to mm. come in, you want to win this game. And that applies to both teams. If we move on a little bit then to the Ireland squad announcement, which, as Jonathan, you said earlier, um, is being announced tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Wednesday afterwards, then you know it has probably already been announced. Though, given the RFU, you can never be certain of these things. Um, but it's due to be announced on Wednesday anyway. What can we expect in terms of uh, Ulster representation? Um, I think you'll see the usuals. Um, John Cooney, I don't think his injury is going to prevent him. Um, and Ireland really need that, obviously, with... Um, the injuries at scrum half that they do have, you're going to see Rory Best, you're going to see um, Jacob Stockton. Like it's it's going to be a big squad, and that's why I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe Marty Murray come back in. I wouldn't even be surprised, given the sort of loose head picture ahead of the World Cup, and given the way that Joe Schmidt likes to expose people to the environment, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Not to see any pitch time but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Eric O'Sullivan trains with Ireland at mm-hmm. a- any stage over the next two months yeah. and I just think you know the, so much of this year is going to be dominated by talk of who will and won't be going to the World Cup but you will see 10, 11 maybe even more than that depending on how injuries go 10 or 11 people in this squad that will be announced tomorrow that won't be at the World Cup because the World mm-hmm. Cup squad is only 31 people you know yeah um, while we're on the subject, though, uh, we'll throw in Donald's question here. You mentioned people who will and will be going to the World Cup. Uh, Donald asks, how big a blow was Cooney's injury to his Six Nations aspirations and, consequently, the World Cup? Uh, granted, his competition have also been injured, but surely missing a big European game like that is a missed opportunity. Funny, I, I think he probably had a pretty good weekend in terms of Irish scrum halves because... Luke McGrath goes down injured and is going to miss the Six Nations. Kieran Marmion's still out. Conor Murray's going to be first choice anyway. You know that we all knew that. Um, so I don't think missing the game has harmed him in any way. And if he plays this week, uh, I think he's 
got plenty of chance to play himself back into contention. Or well, don't I don't think he's out of contention. I think he's he's just going to play play and uh, impress again. So I think he's my second choice mm-hmm. uh, after last weekend, even though he didn't play. So I don't think he's necessarily missed a trick or anything like that. I, I think he is. Uh, He's now firmly in the mix to be a backup. And I think that this is now the big chance for him to impress. Because um, he's not going to get a better chance than this to put his hand up and say, I can be that that backup to Conor Murray. And mm-hmm. that that starts this week if he plays. And then he's got to take it into the Six Nations. Yeah, Fair. Well, we'll talk a little bit as well about the Belfast Telegraph Sports Awards, which we were all at last night in the waterfront. Um, two Ulster players were there picking up awards the Malcolm Brody Player of the Year Platinum Award that's for the professionals it's not the right word yeah. sponsored by Solarium and that was Jacob Stockdale um, unsurprisingly and then getting a special recognition award sponsored by Centre was Rory Best OBE uh, just on the night like there were so many people there from across the, the Northern Ireland sporting spectrum but it spoke volumes really like just looking about the room that those two really were like the stars of the show when you look at the reaction of everybody else that was there like Michael O'Neill was there and probably the only one that I saw that sort of rivaled them in terms of it Jonathan Ray and everybody was there but the only other person that I thought rivaled them in terms of like fuss of other people around him was Shirley Mackay the hockey player but those three sort of I thought stood out in terms of these are these are the, the people that people want to See, yeah, it's funny. You're, you're clearly taking us three out of the equation. Well, actually, yeah. you know, um, the amount of six cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I actually said exactly the same thing um, earlier today to somebody that, um, in terms of current sporting stars that were there, really, the buzz was really about um, Rory and Jacob. And to be fair to them, like um, I think Jacob was meant to be getting away early, but didn't. He stayed stayed to the end and. Rory was still floating about at the end and they were um, taking lots and lots and lots of pictures with lots and lots and lots of people and um, there, there was literally a queue at one point yeah. to yeah, get your picture taken with Jacob Stockdale <laughs> like I'm, I'm, li- I'm literally talking there was a woman getting people to line up yeah, yeah. even in between like courses of the meal yeah. like, it was just constant and you know they kept smiles on their faces and were very polite to to all their requests so fair play to them to be honest i I thought i thought it was very telling there were three standing ovations on the night Mm -hmm. one was for jonathan ray winning sports star of the year one was for william dunlop very deservedly going into our hall of fame um but the third was for rory best getting Mm -hmm. his special recognition award and i think that just shows Mm -hmm. how much people care about him and what he's done for sport in northern ireland even off the rugby pitch, just what an ambassador he is for Northern Irish sport. It's incredible. Yeah, I'm just excited for this that innovation Robert Ballacoon's going to get next year. Um, <laughs> I don't bring that, is that? Absolutely. Uh, listener <laughs> questions then. Uh, first one is from me. I forgot to ask it earlier during the, the uh, post-match chat, so I just thought I'd throw it in now as a listener question from myself. What about the Ulster crowd on Friday night? How sort of how much did that hark back in terms of general atmosphere? We'll discuss the Simon Zebo thing a little bit later on, but in terms of general atmosphere, how much like did that sort of hark back to like the great days of uh, home atmospheres at Ulster? Best it's been for two or three years by a long way. I mean, whenever, um, whenever. Uh, Jordy Murphy won that turnover at the end when the guy sitting beside me leant over and he said 
everyone's celebrating like they've already won the match you know do they not know there's five minutes to go and that was actually very accurate the cheer that went up and the ironic groans whenever they then lost the next line out but but it was just amazing to hear that because it it is something that we haven't had at Kingspan Stadium for a long long time there was there's a genuine sense of people realizing what this game meant and what it sort of translated to in terms of Ulster's position in the standings and in the seedings so I, I thought it was great it was fantastic to see that the place was packed out for um for the game yeah I just thought it was really really impressive that's the European Knights I suppose um <laughs> we have to also then discuss the other side side of that uh, a question coming from Big Jim who uh, mentioned that mentioned the the Simon Zebo incident and says Ulster supporters are taking a lot of flack on social media for that. He says if we assume that this incident is a few bad apples and not endemic, hey, then why is there so little love for Ulster from our other provincial brethren? If we just, if you've been under a rock or something, uh, wondering what this Simon Zebo incident was, uh, since the match Ulster have vowed to investigate any complaints they receive and have appealed for information after Simon Zebo tweeted his displeasure at the reception he received from elements of the home support on Saturday. He had tweeted uh, the evening after the match and said, a tough place to play but great effort from the boys, two important points on the road. Also, I hope my ears deceived me with some comments directed my way from the crowd. Hashtag not on. Django wins in the end and uh, Racing 92's club have since released a statement um, that said their club strongly condemns what they call racist insults uh, that Simon Zebo was targeted with on Saturday. Um, it's just it, it's nothing that you want to be to be linked with sport in general, let alone your own club. Well, I think just Belfast in general or Northern yeah. Ireland in general, um, it's fairly depressing. I think it was sort of strange the way the story unfolded because um, there was such sort of positive talk about the atmosphere and that did involve some booing of Simon Zebo harking back to the incident with Mike Laurie in Paris but then the tweet emerged long after most people had left the stadium and then there was an awful lot of social media debate about whether the um, abuse that Zebo referred to was racist in nature or not and the inference was certainly there but because there hadn't been at that stage any and at this stage, any official complaints made to either Ulster Rugby, the EPCR, or the PSNI, um, details were obviously thin on the ground. And since then, um, somebody or somebodies have come forward to Ulster Rugby um, to confirm that they heard something. I think it's important probably to note as well, in Rousing's statement, the idea that... Um, it was isolated um, to one area of the, uh, of the pitch, one person, two person. It wasn't like um, spread throughout the crowd or anything like that. And I understand what the question um, refers to because you go through um, an awful lot of the replies to Simon Zebo, which it certainly appeared at that time was a tweet condemning the prejudice um, or the preju- prejudicial nature of the abuse that had been thrown his way and it's full of prejudicial statements about um, them and up north and how typical it is of them and things like that. So I understand what he's getting at, but just the, the wider point, I think, is just how 
ridiculous it is that in 2019 this and we're, we're still waiting for I suppose the def- definitive proof that it did haven't given that um, Zebo sort of said if his ears um, deceived him um, but that, that, that this would happen in 2019 in Belfast is just ridiculous like you talk about you know the George Carlin quote of imagine how dumb the average person is and then imagine that half the world is dumber than that um, really sort of rings true for somebody to be so stupid mm. to hurl racist insults at anybody but at a sporting event on the basis of the fact that he scored a try against your team or at the basis of the fact that he didn't like that he pointed at somebody he didn't really care that much himself <laughs> even though in the fact almost as silly as it sounds that Ulster had black players on the field as well. I mean, what would they... You know, you, you, ch- know. you cheer his try, but um, you then insult Simon Zebo in this fashion. And it's just... There's been so many stories surrounding sport this year, like mm-hmm. Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal. All these teams have had these negative stories around them this year, and you can now add Ulster to that list. And it's like... You sort of wonder what year we're living in or what world some people are living in. And... I, I, I genuinely can't explain why it seems like you're almost harking back to much um, worse days in you know the 1970s and 1980s of, I don't know, people feel emboldened to shout yeah. racist things at sportsmen. It's, it's, it's baffling to me, frankly, and um, as you say, it's really disappointing more than anything else, I suppose, because it feels an awful lot... Uh, it feels different when it happens on your doorstep, obviously. Yeah. That's well put. Obviously, well done, John. And obviously, we can uh, echo the statements uh, or the, the part of uh, Rassig's statement that said racism has no place in rugby in which the values of solidarity and togetherness are the exact opposite of any forms of discrimination. Here, here, say we all. Uh, Ian Frizzell's question then asks Rui Best is playing like a man possessed and seems determined to get us into the European knockouts. Let's be clear, we are a different team with him in it. While it would be great to get there, is there any danger that Ulster will take their eye off the Pro 14 ball if they get through in Europe? No. I mean, you've got to bear in mind that Ulster are still in a dogfight for uh, the top three in the Pro 14. And they're they're even in a dogfight for the top four, which would at worst get them a Champions Cup playoff. Um, So, I mean, you know, that. It's not like they're guaranteed a playoff spot and they'll take their eye off the ball in the Pro 14, cruise that quarterfinal and still be getting by. They they know that there's work to be done because there's no point in getting to a Champions Cup quarterfinal if you're then not going to be back in the competition next year. You'd almost be advocating that they turn all their focus to the Pro 14, they don't care about the Champions Cup quarterfinal instead because it's more important to get back into the Champions Cup next year than to... Through, put all your eggs in the basket for the Champions Cup quarterfinal this year. Um, once again, I'm shamelessly going to steal a point that Johnny made uh, before we started recording. And that I'm going to have to stop talking to you boys before we record. <laughs> <laughs> we are. But um, Ulster's run-in is so difficult that all the games in the build-up to the Champions Cup quarter- quarterfinal, they have to put a big focus on because they need to have some kind of a buffer in case those last three games go catastrophically wrong. 
Um, otherwise, they could get to the quarterfinal, have no buffer whatsoever, have a huge game to play away at Saracens or Leinster or someone like that, and then be faced with the prospect of having to go away to Edinburgh, away to Glasgow, and welcome uh, Leinster up to Belfast, which are three games that are by no means guaranteed points in any of them. So that there has to be a huge focus put on these games over the Six Nations, both in terms of getting results, bringing players through, but most importantly, creating that buffer that you can fall back on for those final three games. They they can't afford to take their eye off the ball between now and the quarterfinal. Once, if they get through, which I, I think they definitely will, they have to park that. They can't let that be talked about at all. They have to put that to one side and say, look, that doesn't matter for the next X number of weeks. You know, we've got a job to do in the Pro 14. We've got to go and do it. Otherwise, we're not even going to have the potential of playing in a game like that next year. And I think that, that's got to be a huge driving factor. I think, like, obviously, the numbers maybe don't necessarily translate um, like for like. But when, you know, sort of this time last year, Gloucester were saying that the difference between them getting in or not getting into the Champions Cup was a quarter of a million quid. So I think it's obvious how much um, emphasis needs to be put on that and making sure that you're in next year. And like we know, like we know that Ian knows his stuff, so he's probably harking back to 2012 and the detrimental effect that that European run had on the uh, Ulster's Pro 12 campaign and even like 2014. Like what did the plays sort of a shadow side against Cardiff the week before. They played a shadow side against Connacht the week after and got duffed in Galway. Yeah, yeah. Um but I think they I think they got beat by Cardiff they definitely got beat by Cardiff before one of the Saracens. Um semi finals, I'm pretty sure it was twenty fourteen as well. because yeah. um, I'm pretty sure yeah, because Ferris must have been um there thereabouts and there was all that talk about the pitch and his knee and stuff. Um so you have that sort of idea of what's happened in the past, but the true meritocracy of the Pro 14 now, where you have to qualify. And as um, I agree with Adam, um, not surprisingly, really soon it was my point that he took, but (laughs) uh, uh, that's very unprofessional. (laughs) Say no more. The the run of fixtures that they have as well, like... um, and the way that the calendar goes this year, because you have less time post Six Nations pre um, quarterfinals. So the game that Ulster have before the presumed, we should say, before the presumed quarterfinal would be home to the Kings, which they should win regardless. Um, they've got Treviso after this round of European fixtures. Benelin, sorry. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Benetton Rugby or Treviso is how I've heard them referred to recently but um, anyway um, you have what 18 18 people in Conor O'Shea's Italy squad who are going to be required to be in camp because Zebra are in South Africa so mm-hmm. Conor O'Shea's training camp would be pretty small if he released the, the Benetton players ahead of that game and well, you've also got Ospreys um, Ospreys away which I think well, both teams are aware it's been played in Bridge End or something. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really the key game because I think they should... Treviso, Bannon, is a huge game. But I think given that, you know, you look at Bannon and it's like 
Right, they're losing Tommaso Allen, so they're playing without their ten. But they're also losing Ian McKinley, so they're down to you know their third choice ten. Uh, it's a good time to play them, basically, and I think Ulster should have enough to win that, even without the likes of Best and Stockdale, who we probably wouldn't see in that game. And then you look through the rest of that window, and I don't think the distraction of the uh, a potential quarterfinal comes into play because, quite frankly, you're likely to be seeing lots of players who aren't nailed on the play in that quarterfinal, so we're going to be looking to stake a claim. It's not going to be like, oh, well, we'll take it easy for this quarterfinal because if they don't impress, then they won't be playing in it. I think the, the, question, the question's taken on, so we're going to have to keep moving because I've already curbing questions left, right and centre here. Any that aren't time-sensitive are being uh, put on the, the back burner, but they might make it in next week. So um, one more for this week from Peter Gray. asks, if Ulster do make the, the quarterfinals, which of the likely opponents will they have the best chance of beating Good question. Uh, I'm going to say Saracens. Um, not because they're the easiest of the opponents, but I think Ulster's game at the moment kind of suits playing Saracens in that Ulster have found a way to finish games really strongly, which is something that Saracens are so renowned for doing. If Ulster could keep pace with them in the latter stages of games, then you know that, that negates one of Saracens' biggest strengths. Uh, and then it's, it's just about finding a way to be ahead going into sort of those final 20 minutes. If they played the same way that they did against Racing, you know, with, with the great start, then get by for the for the next bit and then finish strongly. I, I think that's that's a very good way to play Saracens and it's a way of beating Saracens. Um, look, whoever they play is going to be extremely tough. I'm, I'm not saying Ulster, if they get Saracens, or have a great chance of going through all the other teams are top quality sides. And if you finish as a runner-up, you're going away to, to a side who have dominated in the pool and uh, are, are one of the best sides in Europe. So it's it's going to be tough no matter who they play. But out of all of them, I, I, I see them sort of playing a game that could disrupt Saracens. But at the same time, it'll, it'll be tough yeah. no matter who it is. Jonathan, in a word, one word, who do you want? One word. I can't say that one word. Right, so okay, I, I, I don't want that anything, but I, I agree. <laughs> I agree that it would be Saracens for a different, um, well, for a similar issue reason in that Ulster haven't played them, so they'd be more likely to catch them cold than the other teams possible. Fair, fair and succinctly made. Much appreciated. Schools Cup. Then we'll just briefly run through the the draw for the next round. Um, friends will play Ballyclare, Uma face down high. Korean Grammar against Dalriada Region House host Bangor Grammar and Lurgan College play Cambridge House that's my tie of the round because Cambridge House is Emma's school and they beat Banbridge Academy my school in the last round by a point and it was gotten because she really enjoyed that so being from Lurgan I will accept revenge um, from Lurgan so please uh, please win that one Royal School Dungannon play Lauren Rainey and Dowd face Portadown College and then BRA play Belfast High School in a big city Derby Adam Back to club action this weekend. Back to club action this weekend. Um, there was one game last week uh, in the All Ireland Bateman Cup. City of Armagh. Congratulations to them. They are through to the final after they beat Buccaneers twenty nine thirteen in the semi final. They'll play Gary Owen. Uh, I'm not sure when the final is, but uh, that that's who they play. Um, looking ahead to this week, the All Ireland League is back. It's the reversal of the pre Christmas fixtures. My voice is gone. Uh, in Division 1B, Malone hosts Balna Hinch, Banbridge are away at City of Armagh and Ballymena welcome Buccaneers to Eaton Park. In Division 2A, Queens are at home to Dolphin. 
In Division 2B, Dungannon and Rainy Old Boys meet in an Ulster Derby, while Belfast Harlequins welcome Sligo to Darmore Park. And in Division 2C, Oma Aki's face Banger and City of Derry are away to Tomond. All those games Saturday at half past two. Lovely. Well, that's pretty much us for this week. Um, time is dictating. Uh, not least time is taking to record, but also time is going to take me to edit and then leave because I want to go home. Yesterday you are the most crucial day. cog in the machine. Don't, want, don't want today to be a long day as well. So that's pretty much us. Um, we'll be back next week where we will hopefully be looking for... Uh, Back at an Ulster, another Ulster win, and regardless of that, more importantly, um, looking ahead to an Ulster quarter final. So, for this week, from Adam McKenna. Cheers, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Thanks a lot. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.